0: Welcome, this talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org.
1: Today, uh, Mark is a fellow Insight LA instructor and co-leads our um, LGBT group uh, up, up. is it Los, is it Santa Monica?
2: We are looking for new uh, home. Oh, are you? Okay. Long Beach. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, Mark is really inspiring to me. He's a very dedicated practitioner, and I um, can probably fill you in a little bit about his story, how he got to the Dharma. But uh, his passion and dedication for his practice <coughs> is extraordinary, so I'm really happy to have him in his voice here with us today so with that i'll leave it to you i'll give you the let's say give you the floor but I'll, in this case the couch <laughs> <laughs> um, it's real comfortable <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah we came in today to really-
2: <laughs> so thank you casey for having me and thank you guys for uh, being here allowing me to come sit here. Um, Casey said some really nice things about this group down here. So it's nice to actually see the faces that he's talking about. Um, So Casey wanted me to talk a little bit about my path and how I came to the Dharma. Um, So I thought I'd share a little bit about that. Um, So I teach at Inside LA. I also am an adjunct professor at USC. Where I teach in the School of Cinematic Arts, I teach Digital Media, and I'm also teaching Mindfulness there. i in a really great department that is um, very forethinking and really wants a lot of mindfulness in their curriculum. And so they allowed me to develop a course around mindfulness in the creative process. So I'm right now teaching the second semester of that, which is pretty cool. Um, and my day job is a television producer. So that kind of is where my story starts. Um, from a young age, I knew that I wanted to produce TV. My mom took me to a local TV station in Rockford, Illinois, and I knew immediately that I wanted to be involved somehow in television. And so I um, went to college, was in Chicago, and my sophomore year, I got an internship on The Jenny Jones Show. <laughs> so I remember the Jenny, Jenny, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I spent about eight years there, working 100, 120 hours a week. And um, at that point, everything I was oriented towards was pro- you know, progressing in my career, was making money, was having you know, all of the success that material things could bring. And that's where I put my energy. Um, I didn't think a lot about kindness or truth
3: or love
2: or compassion, not saying that I wasn't a kind person, but it was just not kind of what my North Star was. And so as I kind of progressed up the ladder and moved to Los Angeles, I was working for Fox, working in development and programming, and um, was offered the executive producer position on a court show called Divorce Court, which was... um, (laughs) It's still on the air. Um, it's a really, really long-running show um, it's been on in some iterations since the 50s. And so I was young, I was like 33, and was given the opportunity to take the show over. And needless to say, there was a lot of stress. Um, there was a lot of pressure. I had a big staff working for me. And I was in a relationship that I was, you know, in about seven years, and he was a really great guy, but I wasn't happy. Um, I had the house, I had the car, I had all of those things at that point that I thought would make me happy, and I wasn't. And three weeks to the day that I moved into my office at Divorce Court, I found out I was HIV positive, and that kind of just hit me like a sledgehammer. And at the point, I didn't have any way to deal with it. No kind of tools in my toolbox. And so what I did was I just pressed it down and dealt with it on a medical level and did not touch it on an emotional level. And so I just kind of threw myself into my job and um, did that for about a year. I didn't tell anybody I was be positive except my partner at the time. He wasn't um, positive. Before. And repressing that secret, right, for that year caused a huge amount of um, discord in my nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was experiencing a lot of chronic fatigue. Um, and so the stress was really manifesting. It wasn't, you know, what I was experiencing wasn't problems from the HIV. The HIV, I took medicine and it was a pill a day and been undetectable since I found out, you know, since I've been on the meds, and that's not really been a problem, but what was a problem was my relationship to the HIV, and so I um, was in the studio, and it was our first day of a new season, I was in the control room, and we were taping the first episode, and I was in the control room, and all of a sudden I noticed the vision in my left eye went dim. There was like a circle that had appeared right in the middle of my line of sight. And I had got really freaked out, didn't know what it was, got really concerned. We stopped taping, went to the eye doctor, went to a retina specialist. And I was diagnosed with a retina disorder um, that what occurs is water pools underneath the retina and it causes this kind of um, mark in your eye. Uh, and he said that this happens to typically men in their 30s who have type A personalities and high-pressure jobs. Yeah. And he said the only way to reduce your chances of having it occur again, and it, it, there wasn't anything you can do for it, kind of like when this, this liquid pools beneath the retina, it takes anywhere from like three to six months to dissipate, and then your vision comes back. Um, but it can progressively can continue and continue and continue, and so he said the only way that you know you can deal with this disorder is to reduce your stress and so at that point, I'd like to be like, I was like what do you
0: mean
2: I, I knew about stress, but I knew my relationship to stress was it was what gave me my edge right it 's what allowed me to rest of my career. It's what allowed me to get the showrunner job um, at a young age and you know, before my friends did. And um, So there was this kind of not sure what I should do because how do I deal with this essential part of me that made me successful, made me get these things that I wanted without the awareness that those things that I wanted weren't truly what making or what would make me happy um, so I um, kind of sat for a few months trying to figure out what to do and a friend of mine my friend Karen um, we we have a group of friends that worked for Oprah so when we were at Jenny Jones there was Oprah and Jenny and we were kind of like the in Chicago the kind of stepchild of the the, the talk show world there mm-hmm. There was also Jerry Springer, so we were kind of above <laughs> Jerry Springer. <laughs> um, yeah, they were totally in touch with And so she told me about this um, article that was in O Magazine. And some staff writer on, on uh, Oprah's Magazine did an MBSR class with John Kabat-Zinn, And I read about it. And I'm like, yeah, stress reduction is what I need. And so I took the class, and um, the teacher was Christiana Wolf, I don't know if you guys know her, but she's a medical doctor, um, and she allowed me, because she approached it from this kind of science-based place, for me to kind of accept it, and, and, and I was seeing as I was taking this class how functional and how practical these practices were. And I slowly began to see how like, slight changes, right, changes in, in the way that I looked at things were making my life a little bit less stressful, a little bit less um, less kind of chronically inflamed. Um, and so I, I continued to practice. I took that MBSR class a second time. Um, and I read a book at that time called The Buddha's Brain by Dr. Rudd Hansen. I don't know if you guys have read that. But again, so that was, again, taking the science and matching it with the Buddha's teachings. And that's when I first kind of began to open up to the Dharma. So kind of shifting from this this very kind of science-based, you know, this is a, a, a tool, a strategy that I'm going to use to kind of being really interested in this guy 2,600 years ago who developed this kind Plan for people to find peace. Um, so I went on a retreat. Have you, anybody, been on a retreat here? yeah. So my first retreat was a 10 day retreat at um, Spirit Rock, or at Joshua Tree, the spring retreat. And um, I got there. I, was, I had just lost my job on divorce court. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do, and I didn't want to really. Do television, the same type of television anymore. That kind of was starting to kind of come off, um, but I had no other. I didn't know what else I was going to
3: do.
2: Um, so I went on this retreat, and I had an extremely tough three days. The first three days was super, super, super intense. I, um, I, so because of the the HIV, and I think it was more because of the chronic stress my I was constantly tired like really really a heavy dense cloud fatigue was just present all of the time is what it felt like all the time um, and so that was there and when I didn't sleep it was aggravated and it compounded and so at the retreat I was in a, in a house with eight other people um, you know not talking but when you're sleeping with in a small space with other people you hear every movement and yeah, yeah 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 one of those machines those yeah. cat machines yeah. um, my uh, roommate or the guy that was sitting in the bed next to me um, i had an air conditioner unit above my bed and it was hot and so i put the <laughs> air conditioner on and it appeared he didn't want the air conditioner on, oh, and so there was this non-verbal, non-looking at each other <laughs> to navigate the air conditioner. And I was also um, getting bloody noses, um, and it was because of the desert air. It was really, really dry, but that also just activated all this fear, like, oh my god, I'm should be positive, I'm getting bloody noses. If anybody knows that, I'm t- tainted. I'm, you know. Blah, blah, blah. And so I was dealing with that, um, and feeling really kind of fluish because of the fatigue, um, and I went and met with Trudy Goodman. She was the teacher that I had my first interview with on the third day, and I just sat in front of her and just sobbed, just completely broke down. And I was just like, I can't do this, I need to leave, like, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. That I thing popped up. Like, the, the the beginning of that kind of dimness started occurring, and so I was really sensitive to, now this means, you know, three to six months of not being able to see out of my eye. I was really frustrated. I was, you know, exhausted. And she was just so compassionate. And it was the first time that I kind of really allowed myself to feel another person's compassion in
3: that way. And it was really
2: beautiful, and... She, you know, pragmatically said, okay, what can we do to kind of address the things that we can fix? And then um, we'll do that. And so one of the things was getting me a place where I could sleep um, without, you know, just trying to get some sound sleep. So she's like, "Um, I'll arrange for you to sleep in one of these cabins that we're doing these interviews in. Um, You can just come at the end of the last sit and then sleep here. So that was huge. That kind of kept me going. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a good night's sleep. I can, I can get through this. I can handle it. And um, as I was um, going through the day, it was tough, but I, 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 I made it. I made it through the last sit. And um, as I was walking out of the um, meditation hall into my cabin, Cabin was kind of in the back, and I don't know if any of you have been to that Joshua Tree um, retreat center. It's really, really pretty. It was uh, designed by Frank Lloyd Wright's uh, son, and I'm really a fan of the century architecture and, and the desert, and it was a nice night, and so I was like, starting to kind of okay, okay, okay. And I got into the um, cabin uh, where I was going to sleep and where I had that interview with Trudy earlier that day. And in the room, there was two chairs, one where Trudy sat and one where I sat, or people, the the students sat, and there was a waste paper basket um, between. And I walked into the room, and I saw this waste paper basket, and it was literally overflowing with tissues. (laughs) Um, And I just, and like in that moment, I had this huge insight, like, fuck, everybody here is suffering. Everybody here has their own stuff. Everybody's is, you know, going through um, their own personal battles. And it was like this realization that this isn't personal. This isn't, you know, it's not just about me. This is something that, as humans, we all experience suffering. Some form, some degree, and um, so that that first noble truth became so very tangible for me, and and it kind of um, really whetted my appetite to kind of go deeper and to find out more. Um, and so that I think had um, what had arisen, and I got a, a good night's sleep, and the next day. I decided to kind of try a practice to kind of make something up that I have had kind of heard and it wasn't really anything specific. But um, when I noticed that I was becoming frustrated because of not being able to see well out of my left eye, I would pause. Um, and I made it like a little plan, like each time for the remainder of this treat, I would do this process each time. And so I would pause and... Um, just acknowledge that this is a moment of suffering. And then I would shift to gratitude, gratitude that I actually still can see. Right? I still had sight in my right eye, and I could actually kind of see around the dot in my left eye. And then I acknowledged that there was a bunch of people in this world that I can't see, right? that don't have any sight. And so I sent them peace. And I did that each time, probably 200, 300 times during that retreat. And I was really kind of mindful of really kind of practicing that. And what I found was by the end of that retreat, the eye thing didn't go away, but the frustration around the eye condition went away. And so I could have, I could see, you know, not see well, but it wasn't a problem. And that's eventually what happened with the HIV. With this practice, was HIV hasn't gone away, but it's no longer a problem, right? And kind of like the second arrow. I can't avoid. I can't escape the HIV. I can't, couldn't escape the eye condition once it arose, but I could reduce the amount of additional suffering that I had on to it by what I talked to myself, how I talk to myself. Yeah. So I kept practicing. Um, and, you know, it was a process, and it's a process, of really kind of um, getting in touch with and feeling All of this stuff that I've never felt before, all of these emotions that I just pushed down. And so I remember there was a period of six months where stuff just came up, came up, came up when I'd be sitting. Um, One time, I remember, I was sitting, and this image came to me where I was a kid, four years old, and um, I was playing Barbies with my best friend, Jill. And I knew that I shouldn't be playing Barbies. Or I had this idea in my head that because I was a boy, I shouldn't be playing Barbies. And I felt shame at that young age of four. And it just washed through my whole body. And I sat with it, and then it left. And I had no kind of conscious memory of that experience. And so it was the examples of that, of just seeing, wow, look at all of the stuff that we carry, that we don't even know that we carry, that's really shaping how we see the world, shaping our interactions with people, um, and just our experience of of what it is to be. Um, So that was kind of cool to see all those different things and to, to kind of really feel like, wow, stuff is actually working. there really is something to all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I uh, decided to want to go deeper, and I I started training and taking classes to teach, and took the MBSR practicum with Casey, that's where we met, what, a few years ago now? Um, And that's where I am today, so I'm Another kind of interesting, or, or it's interesting. I mean, this this process can be a little destructive. I don't know if you can notice, um, but that life that I kind of thought that I wanted all those years collapsed. Yeah, yeah. And so that was a really confusing period. Like, what do I do now? Like, I knew. That the type of television that I was producing, that I was really good at, was conflict television. Was getting people on camera to fight, to you know, to um, take lie detector tests, to reveal DNA tests, to um, do all of these things that um, caused harm, essentially, right? Like there was no there was no other way for me to look at it. And there was ways as a producer that we justified that television, right? Like, it's we're helping them. And then I kind of saw through that because it's like, okay, yeah, we may be helping them in some degree by telling their story, but the intention behind what we're doing isn't helping. The intention behind the company's point of view is ratings and making money. Mm-hmm. And so it's like those two things just didn't... Gel for me. Um, and I was lucky enough, I got a co executive producer job on an Oprah show um, on A Yamla Fix My Life. I don't know if you guys have ever seen A Yamla. Yeah. Um, she's awesome. Yeah, and I was actually really, really nervous about going to work for Oprah because I had held her in such a high regard. Um, and I was so impressed. Like, she really walks her talk. Yeah, and Ayamla the same way. Like, the hosts that I had worked to, worked with up to that point were one way on camera and another way off camera. Ayamla was exactly the same every single interaction with her. So that was, that was helpful and hopeful for me. Um, I did that first season, and then I came back to LA and did more retreats, more training sad much more, um, worked a lot with sacred medicine, which I can talk about some other time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, most recently, um, one of the things that I was going to share with you guys today was um, so that Buddha's Brain, Dr. Rick Hansen, um, I booked him on a talk show a few years back, and it was kind of cool that was kind of my first entrance into the Dharma. And we struck up a friendship, and I had been helping him for the last couple years um, with digital media for his Foundations of Well-Being program. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And then um, he asked me to produce this 36-hour live stream, um, this training that he was doing on positive neuroplasticity. And So I did that, and as a result, I had to get really familiar with content, and um, I'm not a neuropsychologist like he is, but I thought I'd share one of the practices that he talks about and that he teaches about. Um, so do you guys know he talks a lot about taking in the good? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and he often kind of coined this phrase that the brain's, um, the brain's nature is to be like Teflon for good experiences, and like Velcro for bad experiences, for negative experiences. And so to rewire the brain, essentially, um, you have to make a conscious effort to pay attention to things that are already happening in your life and allow them to kind of sink in and to kind of um, reverberate in your body. Um, And that actually changes the way that neurons fire in your brain. Um, And it's a lot about um, resourcing, so building resources um, that arise throughout your day that you might not necessarily catch if you're not aware, if you're not mindful of that. So, like resources like love, compassion, strength, um, kindness, basically all of the kind of things that, that that kind of keep us keep us in a in a what he calls a green zone. Um, He talks about green zones and red zones, red zones being kind of like a a state of stress, the fight or flight response, Mm -hmm. and the green zone is like a resting state, um, kind of the homeostasis kind of place. Mm -hmm. And these trainings kind of help you to live more in this green space. And so when the inevitable stuff of life happens, you you dip out of it and you may go into red for a period of time, but then you are able to more easily come back into this kind of green resting zone. Um, let's see. Oh, you know what? I wanted to share this poem. This is by um, Gavin Harrison, who is HIV positive. He's a gay uh, Dharma teacher. Is your life a frantic dash from what has been to the to-do list of what yet may be in store for you? Spinning in circles? Dizzy? Disconnected? Have you joined the carnival of insanity sweeping the land? Time available? Never enough? Are you moving at the speed of light? Is this the life you long for? There is nothing courageous or valiant about such frenzy. Rushing from fire to fire is no fun and not without consequence. Stop before you are stopped by the reverberation of speeding and acceleration. Move more slowly without apology or justification. You may wish also to disdain from the exhausting spiritual merryground of self-improvement, cultivation, and purification. Stop seeking. You are already everything you yearn for and so much more. Decry the voices of poverty and lack. If there's a problem, it's one of momentum, not deficit. Free fall from small time into the depths of time. Rest in the web from which you cannot fall ever counter all who have been, are, and will be within the timeless immediate. Future and past are present here. Nowhere to go, nowhere to flee. Fall to your knees. Drink the sacrament of deep time. So I was kind of kind of stopped by the reverberation of speeding and acceleration. That's, that's kind of, I kind of crashed. Right, my system crashed, and you know there's so many different ways to the Dharma, and so many different doors. Right, mean, you don't have to come to it through suffering, but my experience with that was definitely the reason why I came. Um, okay, so Dr. Hansen, he talks, he says that we have three great needs, and he breaks them down into three systems. He says um, there's the safety system, the satisfaction system, and the connection system. So he says if you have issues in the safety system, anxiety or anger or fear, you look for experiences that help you feel safer. If you have issues in the satisfaction system, you're dealing with frustrations or loss, look for experiences like gratitude, gladness, or accomplishment. This could include small things like getting the kids to bed, If you have issues with connections, feeling left out, insecurely attached, or devalued by others, look for opportunities to experience feeling cared about, feeling included, liked, seen, or loved. And so to do this, um, he uses an acronym called HEAL. Um, The H is to have a beneficial experience. And so there's two ways to kind of do this. One is to an experience that you're having. So if you're taking a walk to actually fully enjoy the walk that you're on, you know, petting the dog, having a conversation with friend, like really feel the connection. Um, The second letter E is to enrich it, to enhance it, and that's kind of um, uh, just essentially calling back that experience. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm ahead of myself. So the, the, it's having the, the, the um, positive or the beneficial experience. Um, so you either have it while you're having it. And the other way to do it is to intentionally remember a time when you had one of these experiences, one of these beneficial experiences. So That's the H. And then the E is to enrich it. So to kind of keep calling it back. And he says optimally, like for 10 to 15 seconds, that's all you need to do. Just recalling, okay, this is, this is the experience. This is what it felt like. This is, you know, where it was in my body. Really getting a sense of the experience in the body. I'm letting it kind of really just fully kind of be there. And then the A is to absorb it. So really to kind of, you know, this image of raindrops kind of dropping down, dropping into you, just letting the beneficial experience really fill the whole body. Mm -hmm. And then the L, which um, we won't do today, um, but he explains it really, really well in his book, Hard Warrior and Happiness, um, is linking. And it just takes a little bit more skill and a lot more um, explanation, but essentially it's linking... um, negative experiences with beneficial experiences and you kind of keep one in the foreground and one in the background and as you're doing this you're what he says is you're essentially literally rewiring the neural network so that negative experience is resourced by the positive um, so it's 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 really about building these these internal resources um, that you can then pull from a lot more easily, right? Because our brains are like Teflon for the good, so that's why we're working to actually absorb, enrich the good, so they're easily um, able to kind of call up for us. So I we try. Um, I take you through this heel, the H E A. So finding a position comfortable. Becoming aware of the sensations of the breath. Or that you're in this room sitting. And asking yourself if it's true for you in this moment, if you're okay. heart is beating, breathing, your clothes, being chased by lions or So, for the H of this heal practice, bringing to mind a beneficial experience that you may have had in the last couple days, maybe the last week. This experience could be different for everybody. Maybe it's a time when Felt a sense of connection with another person? Where you witnessed the beauty of nature? He was enjoying a meal, having sex. So not worrying too much about finding the perfect experience, but deciding on one to kind of hold in awareness. E is enriching this memory, this positive experience, sensing into what it felt like in the body. Seeing if it's possible to stay with it for 10, 15, 20 seconds. And maybe it's not that easy. Maybe you're not able to. and That's fine. Just keep returning to memory, using it as the anchor, kindly, gently, non-judgmentally returning the awareness back to that pleasant experience. absorbing the experience so this is the taking in the good like a sponge absorbing sensations, sinking in, melting into you. To your normal thinking so he suggests that do that practice three to five times a day. Let's see what happens. <coughs> You're so inclined. <laughs> um, so I think that's all that I have. Did anybody have any comments? Or,
1: yeah. So I know we didn't cover the L part, but um, I was thinking um, just connecting the um, prior you know, palms or um, challenges
2: yeah so it's kind of looking at them as antidotes so if you're feeling lonely what is the resource that you're needing right connection so it's building a bank up that is easily reachable so when you feel lonely you can call on the feeling of connection. And so it's easier to, like, oh, okay, this is what connection feels like, right? And this is something that it's actually, we're able to kind of bring up in ourselves without anything externally. Yeah. And it's kind of like uh, the, the, the L is, um, um, it's this kind of dance and merging of the negative and the positive. So, kind of keeping one in the foreground and then keeping one in the background, and then just kind of um, going back and forth until you kind of settle on the beneficial um, and, and kind of sitting with that. But again, this takes practice, right? It's not easy to call up these resources. And so, yeah.
0: Oh, I have a, a I read some of your and up, and I have an example of where I would and um, when I was 13, a German Shepherd attacked my brother and my mom, and they were totally fine. They just had some scars in their hands, but it was amazing. After that, the sight of a German Shepherd—not even a German Shepherd who was like had too much black hair or too much tan hair, but one that looked exactly like the one that attacked my mom and my brother—gave me the same physical experience as if someone came up behind you with an air horn. You know, that sort of like blood of adrenaline and stress. Mm-hmm. And some people will warn me, like my husband would be like, uh, you don't want to look to the left. <laughs> <laughs> sure. uh, because if there was German So I read Rick Hanson stuff maybe four or five years ago, and I practiced meta for myself, looking at a German Shepherd when they appear, yeah. you know, at the dog park and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. And it really has, it has it, taken you know, five years of just do a little meta, 10, 15 seconds, you know, while. Having that dog in my line of sight, and now it's remarkable how easy it is to be around one, um, as of compared to
2: what it used to feel like. Yeah. So that's how i use linking. Yeah. My life. Very cool.
0: Thank you. I'm just feeling a wave of gratitude that our medical fields are moving in this direction right now. Um, I work as a clinical psychologist, and I specialized in PTSD, um, and this practice so powerful to me personally, but um, so I sit with people every day who have been raped and tortured
1: and,
0: mm-hmm. and and this is what we do. This is actually the practice is you bring up those negative memories with open heart mm-hmm. and then you calm the body and just embrace yeah. and see that everything is okay. Mm-hmm. And so I'm feeling Especially in our society, I think it's you can get caught up in the places we still have to go, mm-hmm. but I hold on to the gratitude that we are moving there collectively. Um, I need to hold on to that sometimes. I remember that.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to thank you very much for your your story and your talk. In um, part because I can. I relate very strongly to a lot of it. Um, uh, yeah, recently lost my job, and it's something that I had, you know, put so much energy into. Like, not in a frenzied way, and not for material gain or anything, but I was like workaholic, you know, um, just putting everything I had into way I identified with it and um but it, it's something that was not I mean the job was not a good fit for me. I mean not you know I wasn't producing shows you know to get people to you know, get <laughs> <laughs> in conflict. I don't know. Um yeah but just internally for me like what it made me go through like um a lot of self questioning which you know, happens to anyone in their job I think and um yeah so I'm I have crashed, I've been in the red zone for um, over a year, and like, yeah, things are falling apart, and I don't know where anything's going, or, you know, what job is next, and just to, you know, hear someone going through that process and, like, coming out the other side. and That's scary.
2: is, there is another, you know what I mean, like it is temporary. That's what I kept coming back to is that this period is, it really feels like a period of growth. And so maybe to the outside world, this doesn't look linear and it doesn't look like, you know, maybe it looks like my life is falling apart. Mm-hmm. But I knew deep inside that this was what was going to save me. This was actually what I really ultimately needed. And everything will
3: work out the way it works out, and just doing my best, right? Yeah, and my more mindful moments, I can take a step back and see the story until like, my life is a mess, it's falling apart, that's like the second era. I'm just yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah.
2: not, that's what I'm adding to it. Yeah, and it's great that you see it as a story, right, so it's just as often and as kindly as you can just returning to that that okay this is a story this is not necessarily real it's just what you know i'm conditioned to believe right now
1: in there, and I'm going to do a meta practice for think, the people in our prayer box. And I want to thank everyone for their prayers last couple weeks uh, for Katie's, uh, my fiancé's uh, brother-in-law, um, who insane have been saying was very ill, and he he passed this week. Um, mm-hmm. so thank you so much mm-hmm. for all of your, your prayers and mm-hmm. and um, so the name uh Ben so holding holding him uh, in our hearts as we go through this practice and all the, the names of you know, these beings in the in our prayer box and and just um, everyone in in your hearts as you sit here, anyone in allowing our eyes to close for a few moments. <clears throat> you know, all the saints and sages of all times, all religions have talked about a universal connectedness, this oneness in the heart and in love. And so maybe setting the intention that somehow, some way, all beings can feel our loving intention, regardless of space and time. And so reaching into the tender part of our hearts, this one that knows that just like us, all beings are looking for love, approval and appreciation. Maybe just zeroing in the awareness on the heart center feel the arising of love and compassion. Maybe allowing your awareness to be like stoking a flame. Allowing this love and kindness, this intention, even if you don't feel anything, the intention of wishing yourself and others happiness, allowing that to emanate. Maybe we could first just allow it to emanate towards each other, holding each other. And kindness. Maybe one here has their own worries and concerns. Maybe be happy, free from suffering. this loving kindness expand beyond this room to all those beings in our hearts that need assistance at this time. All the areas of the world finally letting our heart fall into infinite infinite potentiality to true beingness beyond self and other. May all beings regardless of form, human beings, animals insects all beings seen and unseen They all be happy. They all be free from suffering.